Welcome to the Danny Picard Show on this Monday, September 18th, 2017. Broadcasting from the Beantown Athletics Studio. Beantown Athletics, Boston's number one source for screen printing and embroidery. Today's show is presented by DraftKings. You can play for free at DraftKings.com or on the DraftKings app by using my promo code PIC. That's P-I-C. And as we enter week number three in the NFL, DraftKings is hosting a $100,000 Pick'em contest this Sunday that's totally free to enter. Pick'em is the newest way to play one-week fantasy football, and here's how you play. DraftKings has organized players into eight different tiers, so all you have to do is select one player from each tier. In Pick'em, there's no salary cap, and the smaller player pools mean you only draft from the players you know. The best part is, you get to draft a new team every week without any commitment whatsoever. So what are you waiting for? Go to DraftKings.com right now, or download their app and play for free by using my promo code PICK. That's P-I-C. Today's show is also presented by Aiden's Barbershop in Dorchester. The girls at Aiden's provide the best in gentlemen and boys' haircuts, hot shaves, beard trims, and style cuts. And everybody knows where Aiden's Barbershop is on Adams Street, and it's the only shop around with five different barbers. Aiden's is open Monday through Saturday. Check out their website, aidensbarbershop.com, for every barber's specific hours. That's Aiden's spelled A-I-D-A-N-S. And you know what I like the most about Aiden's Barbershop in Dorchester? The girls finish every single cut with a straight edge. And who would ever complain about that? So whether you need a haircut, a shave, or just a cleanup, head down to Aiden's Barbershop right now on Adams Street in Dorchester. Welcome to the show on this Monday, September 18th. Joining me today is former New England Patriots linebacker and three-time Super Bowl champion Matt Chatham. Uh, you can see Matt Chatham as an analyst on Nesson. Also go to his website, footballbyfootball.com, where, of course, you get a lot of former NFL players giving their opinions, giving their takes, breaking down games, and giving their analysis of what goes on in the National Football League. And Matt Chatham joined me over the phone this morning, and we discussed the Patriots' 36-20 win over the New Orleans Saints in New Orleans yesterday in their Week 2 game. So, great conversation with Matt. I have that audio for you. I will play it in just a few minutes. But first, let's get right to it. Um, It was a big weekend, not just in the NFL, but also you got college football all day on Saturday, uh, and you had the big fight Saturday night, which ended up being a draw. A draw, that's right. Canelo Alvarez and Gennady Golovkin. I've been telling you about this fight for a long time. This was really the biggest fight that I think the sport has seen when it comes to true boxing and two of the best pound-for-pound fighters in the world. This is the biggest fight that the sport of boxing has seen in a long, long time. And you know what? It lived up to the hype. There were no knockouts. Nobody got knocked to the mat. But these guys exchanged punches. They ate big blows each. They delivered big blows each. And uh, it ended up coming to a decision. And it ended up being a draw. But it was a draw thanks to one judge. I'll get into that. I'll give my reaction uh, to the Golovkin-Canelo draw. Uh, at the end of this show, to close out the show, but let's let's stick with football to open things up, because you know I I just on Mondays this is the time to open the show with reaction to the NFL as big as that fight was. 
but I'll, I'll give you my take on Golovkin Canelo after I play the audio with Matt Chatham, after we do all this football stuff. So let's get to the football stuff right now. Through two weeks of the NFL season, uh, week two officially wraps up tonight, depending, you know, depending on when you're listening to this podcast. I'm recording on Monday morning. So uh, tonight, Monday Night Football, the Giants host the Lions, the New York Giants and the Detroit Lions in New York. The Giants a three-point favorite at home against the Lions. So the question tonight will be, I guess, will we see Odell Beckham Jr.? He will reportedly test his injured ankle in warm-ups before the game, like like he did last week, and um, we'll see if he plays or not. But they're saying it's more likely that Odell Beckham Jr. plays tonight than, than obviously he, di- he didn't play last week. But they're saying it's more likely he plays in this one, even after giving the uh, little test in warm-ups, testing that ankle. So you get the Monday night game tonight. But as we look back at all of the Week 2 action on Sunday, Here are my biggest storylines. I mean, I'm not going to sit here every Monday and break down every single game, but I'll I'll give you the biggest storylines. Now, me personally, my personal storyline is that I went 4-1 with Picks Picks. I give you five games with the spread every Thursday throughout the NFL season. Uh, Week 1, I went 2-3, but week 2, this Sunday, yesterday, I went 4-1 with the spread. So I am now 6-4. I have a 6-4 record through two weeks of the NFL season. My only loss yesterday out of the five games that I picked with the spread was Seattle. It was the Seahawks at home against the 49ers. The Seahawks, when I picked it, the Seahawks were a 14-point favorite. I picked a couple of high spreads yesterday. One of them was Oakland. And Oakland ended up covering for me because they beat the shit out of the Jets like I Completely expected them to. The Raiders were minus 13 and a half when I took them. But the other big spread was Seattle minus 14 at home. I just thought that San Francisco only scoring three points in San Fran in, in a week one loss to Carolina. Um, I just thought if they're only going to score three points at home, then when they go to Seattle in week two, that is not going to be a place in which they cure their offensive woes. Now, it wasn't a place where they cure their offensive woes. However, Seattle has some offensive woes themselves. So uh, so the Seahawks, they got their own issues offensively. And that showed yesterday the Seahawks won, but they just barely won a low-scoring affair, and they did not cover for me. So that was my only loss. My wins were Tennessee minus two, um, Pittsburgh minus five and a half. Now, Sam Bradford did not play in this game. I picked it before I knew Bradford was going to be out. And so Bradford has the knee injury. I guess keep an eye on that because he did look good in week one in a week one win against New Orleans. Then again, who you know who wouldn't look good against a New Orleans Saints pass defense? And we'll get to that. And that's not a knock on Tom Brady. You know, I love Tom Brady. You know, I think he's the greatest of all time. But because New Orleans pass defense is so bad, I told you I expect Brady to have a big day, especially seeing that Sam Bradford had a big day against New Orleans pass defense in week one. So Bradford did not play week two. He's got a knee injury. He did not play against Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh. The steal is one, and they covered minus five and a half. So I got Tennessee. I got Pittsburgh. Then I got Oakland. And I also got the Redskins plus three. The Redskins beat the Rams in L.A. by a touchdown. So, you know, I took the points. But the Redskins, they obviously win the game anyways. So here we are. I got four games right for picks picks. Went four and one. And my record on the season now is six and four, I also told you that Derek Carr was my gotta have him. DraftKings play for Sunday slate. I give you that on Thursday, every Thursday during the NFL season as well. 
I'll give you one player that you got to have in your DraftKings lineup for the Sunday games. I had Derek Carr. He ended up with 21 DraftKings points. And when I, when I look at the, the people who, w- who won on DraftKings, a lot of them had Tom Brady. Now, I didn't pick Tom Brady in my DraftKings lineup because he was the most expensive quarterback. I, you know, for good reason. He's Tom Brady, and he's going up against the worst pass defense in the league the last couple of years. So, it's just he was more expensive. I, I took the, the cheaper quarterback in Derek Carr, knowing that he was going to have guaranteed success against the Jets, and he did. He had 21 points. But, um, so... Even though Tom Brady was the quarterback of choice for a lot of people who ended up winning their DraftKings pools, depending on who else you had, Derek Carr was still a good pick if you had him. So I had to have him. I took Derek Carr, and I hope you did too, because if you did, you probably had a nice week on DraftKings like myself. But let's get to the actual NFL storylines here. Uh, the, the top storylines to me, number one, first and foremost, you got, and I know you might think that, well, I'm a, I'm a Boston guy. I'm a New England guy. Why wouldn't I make this the number one storyline? I, look, I could be from friggin' Texas. I could be from Florida. I could be from the West Coast. It doesn't matter. This is still the top storyline in the NFL. The New England Patriots, after a week one loss at home to Kansas City, where they, you know, reveal the championship banner. Look, the Patriots are the reigning, defending Super Bowl champs. A lot of people think they have a great shot to win it again. And Tom Brady's the quarterback. Belichick's the coach. A lot of people wondering, just how much time does Tom Brady have left? You see this team having all these injuries this year. How are they going to bounce back against the New Orleans Saints in New Orleans in Week 2? I told you the Patriots should win. I told you they should put up big numbers, that Tom Brady should put up some, some points in this one. And that's exactly what they did. The Patriots defeat the New Orleans Saints 36-20 to in New Orleans. This one was over in the first quarter. Patriots outscored the Saints 20-3 in the first quarter. Um, Patriots scored a touchdown. Tom Brady threw three touchdown passes. They scored a touchdown on their first three three drives of the game. And uh, Tom Brady threw, what, to Burkhead. Then he threw to Gronk. They had the big play with that touchdown when they couldn't tackle him after the catch. And then you had Chris Hogan. So you get those three touchdowns to begin the game and your first three drives on the road, and, and you just knew after that first quarter that New Orleans was going to have no shot to win this game. But it's not the top story just because the Patriots bounced back and they're the reigning defending champs that showed they're still going to be a damn good team this season. But it's also the top story because in the process, they lost Rob Gronkowski. Gronk got injured again, left the game. And it was a weird play because... He got tackled, and it wasn't a vicious tackle. It was a, a standard wrap-em-up tackle, and, and it didn't look like he hit the ground that hard. He didn't twist that much. It wasn't really anything where his, his ankle or his knee got caught under him. It was, you know, his shoulder didn't fall weird. His, his wrist didn't get caught. We didn't know what was going on. So the only thing you could assume as, as Gronk got tackled to the ground was that, oh, this was a little tweak to the back. The back that he's now had multiple surgeries on. This was a little tweak. And you're thinking to yourself, at least, all right, maybe I'll speak for myself. I was thinking to myself, shit, this is it. Like, if Gronk suffers another back injury on a play like that, then we got some serious problems. Because I don't think Rob Gronkowski is ever going to look the same again. Now, 
So so here's the the good you know good news bad news bad news Patriots lost Gronk in that game Gronk left the game he already had a huge game and already put up big numbers to that point the Patriots already basically had the game won um but I guess if you look in glass half full the news today is that it's a groin injury and it's only something very minor it's not a major injury at least that's coming from Ian Rappaport NFL Network. We'll see. You know, I, the the Patriots are not uh, the Patriots are certainly not going to come out and tell us what the injury is. We, we might never know the severity of it. But um, when it comes to Gronk and it comes to an injury, you know, we we know in the past that Rob Gronkowski has not been the most healthy cat in the league. So this obviously is a red red flag. I mean, red flags go up. Panic buttons are almost smashed in this town when Gronk heads to the sideline, and we have no idea what the injury is. They show video of Tom Brady walking over to the trainer going, what's going on with Gronk? All right, is everything all right? I mean, if you're Tom Brady, you're sitting there going, we already lost Edelman. He's out for the season. Amendola's not playing today. Who knows when he's going to come back? Um, Chris Hogan was limping around. Philip Dorsett was limping around. Rex Burkhead it looked like he was going to be a major part of that game plan yesterday early on, and then he got hurt with the ribs. I mean, they're dropping like flies. So if you're Brady, you're thinking, now we're going to lose Gronk too? What the fuck? I mean, it's just, you, you, don't, you, you don't really have a great feeling, even though you're up big, even though you see Gronk on the stationary bike, and even today, hearing that it's just a groin and it's very minor. When it comes to Gronk and injuries, I don't know what to believe. Because there's multiple aspects. There's the Patriots, them not going to tell us anything. There's the fact that then you got Gronk. I mean, when he's been hurt in the past, I mean, the statements that have come out from his family, you know, on behalf of the Gronkowski family, right? I mean, Gronk's a businessman. We know that. Um, The injury history, there's so much going on with this storyline. And the biggest part of it all is we have no idea. The only people that know are them. And to be quite honest with you, behind the scenes, I'm not even sure they know. Because of the whole Gronkowski, he's a businessman, that, you know, that that side to it. Um, so, l- let's wait and see. They need Gronk, obviously. You saw the type of game he had yesterday. But, and, and you know, I, I know you could say, well, the Patriots won a Super Bowl without him. But they had, a, they had their other pieces in place. They had the other bodies in place. They weren't as banged up as as they currently are. So um, you don't want to see Gronk miss an extended period of time. I will say this, though. You know, if it's something that you don't want to linger, I, I and I know they're making it sound minor right now. They're making it sound like it's not a big deal. But, you know, would I be shocked if Gronk doesn't play week three at home against Houston, Sunday at one against the Houston Texans? I wouldn't be shocked if Gronk doesn't play. Um, would I be shocked if Gronk doesn't play against Carolina in week four? At home? No, I wouldn't be shocked if Gronk doesn't play in that. I mean, and, and I'm not, that's not a knock on Gronk. That's just me not necessarily knowing the situation, but me also knowing that, you know, Gronk is somebody that you, you don't want this stuff to linger with him because who knows? It could turn into something maybe worse than it is right now. So, uh, as banged up as the Patriots are, I, I absolutely could see Gronk missing a game or two. I really could. But that, that's a major storyline. To me, that's a tough storyline. Patriots, yeah, they win. You could call them back. Sure. You know, now they're one and one. The reigning defending champs get their first win of the season. Uh, you know, the, the panic that some people had with a loss against the Chiefs in week one, I, I don't know that you 
that you feel bad about this team anymore. However, you got the Gronkowski injury, and that's something we're all going to keep an eye out for. So I think what the Patriots have right now is the intrigue of a team that can be the best in football, but it's dealing with a lot of issues. And the process picked up their first win of the season in an impressive offensive fashion. And on the defensive end, you got questions with Malcolm Butler. He did not start for the Patriots. He didn't get the start. You had Eric Rowe and Gilmore out there. Uh, and, and you saw Butler. I didn't see him as much as I expected him to be out there. I, and is that injury related? Is it, dis- is it a discipline issue coming down from the team? Is it a strategy is it a game plan? They just thought he didn't match up well against his team? I have no idea. I don't think we're going to know that stuff either. So just a lot of things that you look at with this team, things you feel really good about, the win and the way the offense looked, as banged up as they are, and things that you feel, you know, that you question and and you're intrigued about, but you might be concerned about at the same time, which is Gronk's injury, the injuries of the rest of the team, and, and even the Malcolm Butler situation and how he was used yesterday against New Orleans. So... A lot going on with the Patriots, and I'll keep my eye on all of it. And uh, I talked about a lot of this stuff with Matt Chatham, and I will play that audio for you in just a moment, but going over some of the top storylines in Week 2 in the NFL from yesterday on Sunday, uh, you cannot overlook what the Denver Broncos are doing right now. I think this is one of the top stories in the NFL through two weeks. The Broncos beat the Cowboys yesterday in Denver, 42-17. to The Broncos are now 2-0. They won their first game on Monday night against the Chargers. You know, they blocked the field goal to win that game. Then they just whooped the Cowboys yesterday, 42-17. Trevor Simeon, four touchdown passes yesterday. And I told you this after week one. I said, Trevor Simeon is giving you some signs that he does have the big play ability. He's got the athleticism. He seemingly has the football IQ. He's got the arm strength. And if you put it all together, Simeon right now looks like he could be a special talent in this league. Not just this season, but, you know, beyond this season. And uh, I'm not trying to overreact to what the Broncos are doing through only two games. But at least when I look at my own personal preseason projections and my preseason predictions, I did not put the Broncos in the playoffs. I didn't. I took Oakland to win the AFC West. Now, Oakland's 2-0, and and they're looking like they're going to contend for that. Absolutely. They're still going to contend, and I probably would still put my money on Oakland winning that division. But I also had Kansas City in the tournament. I put them in the playoffs as a wild card team. And I'm not telling you that Kansas City won't get to the playoffs because Kansas City, after beating the Patriots, they also beat the Eagles in Week 2, and I think the Eagles are a good team. So I think that's a good win for Kansas City. Um, But the Denver Broncos, I didn't put them in the playoffs. And you know what? I think I regret it right now because if I could make one change to my preseason predictions and my playoff predictions, I would put the Denver Broncos in the playoffs as one of the wildcard teams and this is going to sound ridiculous if you if you didn't hear my predictions. I'd put the Broncos in over the Colts. That's right. I had the Colts as the final team in the AFC wildcard. But I also thought that Andrew Luck would only be missing one week. And that doesn't seem to be the case. I don't think they know when Andrew Luck's going to be back. So if there was one pick that I could just do over, get a mulligan on, it would be that Colts to the playoffs as the final wildcard pick in the AFC. And I would put Denver there. I might even put Denver in the, in the number one wildcard spot. 
and put Kansas City in the number two. That's how good Trevor Simeon looks. That's how good the Broncos' defense looks. We always knew the Broncos had a nice defense, but I think the questions came with the quarterback. And, uh, you know, I, there's probably a lot of people, and, and myself included, that thought at some point the Broncos this year would be going to Brock Osweiler, who returned to Denver this offseason, uh, or at least a couple weeks ago. So uh, but that doesn't look to be the case. You know, us, us, it's not going to be Osweiler. It's Trevor Simeon. And I couldn't be more impressed with what he's done with this Denver offense. He's got Emmanuel Sanders. He's got Demarius Thomas. You see C.J. Anderson out of the backfield. To go along with that defense, man, I just think they're the most underrated team in the National Football League. At least they were in my eyes heading into the season. The Broncos are a major storyline right now and how good they look. So you got the Patriots. With it, what's going on with them? You got the Broncos 2-0. and and I think another major storyline is the Atlanta Falcons. They're 2-0. Sunday Night Football last night. They beat the Packers 34-23 in Atlanta. And the Falcons, like I said, 2-0. A lot of people thought that they were just going to collapse this season because, because they collapsed in the Super Bowl. Well, contrary to popular belief, the Atlanta Falcons are not done, and the Atlanta Falcons are not dead, and the Atlanta Falcons still are one of the most talented teams offensively in the league, and as I told you coming into the season, I think Atlanta is going to have a better regular season this year than they had last year. I picked Atlanta to win their division, and, um, you know, they've, they've, they just beat the Packers on Sunday Night Football, a team that a lot of people were picking to do something special this year, so I don't know how you could look at Atlanta and say that you think that collapse in the Super Bowl is going to affect how they play this season. You know, will it affect Atlanta maybe in, uh, what, in, in week seven? Is it is it week seven? It's week seven, right? Uh, where they come to Gillette Stadium? Maybe it affects them in that game. But the rest of the season, Atlanta's just too good. They're just too talented to, to be affected by the Super Bowl to the point where they would be down and out and wouldn't be in the playoff race this year. Instead, Atlanta is showing you uh, they're a dangerous team still. And I think they proved that once again last night, beating Green Bay and Atlanta's 2-0. So to me, those are the top storylines. The Patriots back uh, to their winning ways with a big win against New Orleans, looking very good offensively. But they also have some other stuff going on there with injuries and, and who knows what's going on with Malcolm Butler. And then you got the Broncos, as good as they look. You know, I, I think that they could end up being one of the best teams in football now that I get to watch them a couple weeks. And I missed that one. I missed that one. But I missed the tra- – but it's because of Trevor Simeon. This is a quarterback league. If you have a quarterback that's playing the way Trevor Simeon's playing right now, then – and you have a defense like that? Well, guess what? A lot of things can change for your organization. So, uh, seeing how Simeon's playing, a lot of things change with how I feel about the Denver Broncos – and uh, the Patriots go to Denver after a bye week. So they play in Denver on week 10. That's a Sunday, November 12th. That's Sunday Night Football. That game is going to be a lot tougher than maybe someone like myself originally expected coming into the season. So then the Broncos and then the Falcons. Patriots, Broncos, and the Falcons, what these three teams are doing, what's going on with them. Those are the top storylines in the NFL through two weeks and um just to give you an early look I don't know if I don't know if you want it but back to the local perspective here on the Patriots Patriots who host the Houston Texans on Sunday 
at 1 o'clock, week number three. Uh, the Patriots already a 13-point favorite in this one. Already a 13-point favorite against the rookie quarterback, Deshaun Watson. The Houston Texans, they won their week number two game on Thursday night football against the Cincinnati Bengals. Not really a big test for Houston, but uh, it wasn't really a pretty game. But, hey, at least they got a win, and the Texans are now 1-1. And, you know, they have some extra time to pay attention to the New England Patriots. They could have as much time as they fucking want. They're not going to come into Gillette and beat the Pats. That's my, you know, my early take on that. I'll give you my early take, and I'll give you the early spread right now, is the Patriots are a 13-point favorite heading into week number three. And I talked with... Former New England Patriots linebacker Matt Chatham earlier this morning. Here's my phone conversation with him. Uh, Stick around afterwards because I have some thoughts on the Major League Baseball postseason race. What's been going on with the Red Sox? A look around the league. And uh, I'll give you my thoughts on Canelo Golovkin, which was Saturday night. Teddy Atlas on ESPN afterwards. He lost his mind, but in a a good way. I, I agreed with everything that Teddy Atlas said. Uh, I have some strong thoughts on one of the judges from this fight. So uh, stick around after my conversation with Matt Chatham. I'll give you thoughts on Major League Baseball and also on the fight. And also a thought uh, on on a news story that is regarding the WWE. uh, Should I say old school WWF. The, The WWE family lost somebody else over the weekend. I'll tell you who that is. And I'll give you my thoughts on that. But here is my conversation with Matt Chatham. Enjoy and stick around afterwards. All right, joining me over the phone right now is former New England Patriots linebacker and three-time Super Bowl champion Matt Chatham. You can catch him on Nesson here in New England. And you can also read, listen to him, go to the website, footballbyfootball.com. This is the number one spot if you want to get NFL coverage, football coverage from people who actually played the game. And, uh, Matt, thanks for joining me today. I appreciate it. Happy to be on day. All right, so uh, yesterday, New England Patriots, a big win in New Orleans. Did you have any doubt after week one? I guess let me get your take on, on what you thought of this Patriots team after a week one loss at home to Kansas City. Did you have any doubt coming into this game against New Orleans? Yeah, it was sort of like an autopsy feel. That's kind of how I, I, I felt like going through that 10 days, trying to sort of sift through the rubble of what was there and figure out what translates to future weeks and what is probably a goofy outlier from playing on week one and throwing some stuff against the wall, doing things or making mistakes I don't usually see them make. So it was kind of that, you know, separating the, the you know, just the bad from the stuff that, that probably doesn't go forward. And And I think when you, go and look at what happened yesterday in New Orleans, a lot of that stuff didn't come over, which is sort of what you should expect. Uh, little things like, you know, a busted coverage uh, with two between two veterans that goes for, you know, 80 yards. That's, mm. uh, is that going to happen next week? Probably not, you know. So you start to take away little things like that. Uh, they played a lot of the Kansas City game with a down safety as their edge player, and Kareem Hunt tore that up, you know. They And they also got into mismatch situations from coverage with defensive ends on backs. And you're like, well, they're not going to do that. <laughs> you know? yeah. So some of those things is just, this is the game of chess. It is what football is. And if, you know, if, if they were not smart, and we know they are, then you would, you know, be more concerned. But they're usually pretty good at looking at stuff and going, well, that doesn't work. <laughs> you know, let's, let's, uh, let's kick that to the, to the curb. And they did. And I think most of those issues that were, 
big problems against Kansas City weren't against the Saints. And look, week one, you know, you can't make any excuses for being outscored 21 nothing in the fourth quarter in your own building. And I'm not trying to make excuses, but yeah. I think one thing that I try to look at in week one that I don't think a lot of people wanted to acknowledge, Matt, is that the Kansas City Chiefs are a pretty good football team. Like, it's not as if the Patriots lost to a bunch of stiffs in week one. Yeah, it's, it's a great point. But I also think, Danny, that beyond just that they're good, for whatever reason, and I can't figure it out, but they they handled the the weirdo situation that is week one much better than the Patriots did. Mm-hmm. And I'm you know sensitive to that because of, of you know working the preseason games and sort of seeing these guys up close for that six, seven-week stretch. And seeing how little work they get together, you know, so it's like if you're a gambler, if you're someone who just, you know, is super interested in your team on week one, week one is a crapshoot, man. Mm. You have no idea what's going to happen. Like that first defense had taken, I don't know, 25 snaps together, <laughs> like real life football. Like who knows, you know, so mm. and I even look at the offense when you go back to that, that Kansas City game, it felt like a preseason game. Three tremendous drives to start the game off. Now, granted, they did stall on the fourth and one. But, you know, over 200 yards of offense uh, only a few minutes into the second quarter of the Chiefs game. And what does that feel like to me? It feels like Detroit, you know, to get them out there, go out there for a quarter and a half, blow through it, and then everyone goes and sits down. They hadn't done the next part. The next part's the hard part. The next part's, you know, after the other team adjusts, after you go out for the 6th, 7th, 8th, ninth, and 10th series, things like that. And that was really where the Patriots felt the worst. That fourth quarter was bad really for offense and defense. So, you know, like you said, Daniel, it's not an excuse because clearly the Chiefs have the same scenario. They just handle it better. But when you're trying to figure out, okay, what here translates to future weeks, well, that ain't it. I mean, Mm. you just kind of figure this group, once they work together more, they'll do better. That's sort of how things always go around here. Yeah, and when we look at some of the defensive issues, I mean, from my perspective, obviously you have a much better perspective on that than I do. But what I saw was some communication issues. And and, and, you know, you, you mentioned the fact that week one, it can be a crapshoot. I mean, I, these guys really haven't played together that much heading into that game, even heading into week two. Yesterday, you know, you saw Malcolm Butler. He didn't really – he didn't get the start. I, you know, there were times you had that sort of pick play on the New Orleans touchdown. I mean, I, I just thought there was still some communication issues in week two. But, I mean, you would know if that is the biggest issue. And I don't know if it is because, obviously, Hightower is somebody that this team would like to have. But we see the Patriots – Year in and year out, plug guys into spots and, and still have success. The one thing that I know from afar, and again, a different perspective is you, Matt, but the one thing that I, I know and I see is that if it is communication issues, you can fix that throughout the season. And I think that will be fixed with this Patriots team, especially you mentioned this coaching staff. This is a smart coaching staff. This is as good a coaching staff as you're going to get. Uh, they're going to fix the issues that we see right now, right? You're confident they will do that. Yeah, exactly. Health, health, and the ability to fix little quirks like that that you do get through with time, and that's that's the important thing. I think there are there are different kinds of defenses in the NFL, obviously, and it's tough on you know on radio and podcasts and even short TV segments to get into mm-hmm. sort of the minutia. But what happens a lot with teams that play a lot of zone con- concepts, uh, and that's what the Patriots do. They play a lot. Of, they'll play cover four. They'll play two versions. They'll play some mans with you know, deep pass safeties over the top of them. They play a lot of different defenses. Teams that go that route are always worse early than they are later. They are just because it's a rep sort of base thing because you're passing off coverages from one guy to the next or, or, or responsibilities. It goes through one across your route. It passes through several hands before it finally ends up with someone locking on it. Teams that just play straight man to man across the board, you don't see the mistakes quite as much. 
uh, or unless they're playing a lot of crossing routes, they're getting picked or something. Uh, but man to man, there's not as much mental to it. Right. And there's not as much timing with the other people. So the Patriots play those coverages that, and I, you know, I have this notes in my notes every year we do this. It's like, okay, that's bad. Now it'll be better because mm-hmm. they'll start to hand that off better. Um, so I, I think one of the things you did see yesterday and you touched on it and it's, it's not, it's not a one week fix. It might be, you know, late in October, November till it's better, but with Stephon Gilmore uh, was one particular situation yesterday where kind of a rookie mistake, uh, and he's he's a he's a very good vet. I think one of the things that's been obvious of this guy through the you know through camp and through the preseason when it's a, a man-to-man situation, it's just guard your guy. He's he's exceptional. He's really good. Uh, but in some of these route exchange situations, uh, yesterday he aligned. I tweeted about it. I put a picture up on the, on my Twitter feed at Chatham58 uh, where there was. Uh, an alignment where the guy next to him is impressed and he aligned impressed as well. And that's sort of like a cardinal rule. You can go to college football with that one, but you can never press next to a guy who's pressing because if either of them runs a lateral route, mm. they're immediately picked. So what they usually tell you is if one guy presses, the other guy has to be off. So it's like an every other thing with every eligible along the line and right pre-snap for the ball snap, they were at the same level. Like, well, they're getting picked. <laughs> you know, it doesn't yeah. even matter what, what the route is. If they cross even the slightest, they're going to run into one another. Gilmore falls down and goes for 50-some yards. So that's the kind of thing where it's like, well, they'll fix that, right? I mean, like, they're never going to allow him to, to line up that way again, and then it will be a non-issue. But, you know, it's a different conversation if you're just seeing a guy, you know, get routes run on him downfield and can't cover them. That's that's not what's happening. These are kind of boneheaded stuff, and, and he's a good player in a vet, and I'm sure he'll figure it out. All right, I was going to ask you, what have you seen from Gilmore so far? Because... You know, he has been involved or at least sort of in the area of some big plays, not necessarily getting toasted one-on-one, but, you know, maybe sort of been caught standing there looking around going, oh, what just happened? Um, so what have you seen from him through two weeks? I mean, is this a guy that is seemingly worth the money they gave him? And, and when you see what he brings to the table right now, are, are we still looking at this going, this is, this is a good signing for the Patriots and this is going to help them long-term in this secondary? Oh yeah, I, I'm I'm on board all the way with Gilmore. Uh, from again, sort of the flip side of that to me would be the problem. You, you'd, you'd feel much differently if it, if it was, you know, he's he's got the guy he's supposed to have. He's covering him down the field inside four seconds. He's lost him, and there's huge windows around anyone he's around. That's that's not the case. He's all over his guy when there's not a, a front end mistake. And again, they, these are these guys are playing. I think it was like 79 was the rep count yesterday in the 70s, something like that. So he falls down to one, and it's a, it's a bad mistake, and unfortunately that's the position. But uh, I think by and large, his great sheet's probably very, very good from yesterday. Uh, and he they have a, a unique guy who can who can match up because he's kind of mid-sized. He's not like a the small – he's not the biggest corner. He's not like a 6'4 corner. Mm-hmm. He sits kind of right in the middle where he's comfortable enough to go up and down, and I think that's good. So, you know, again, the two big major mistakes that we're thinking of are the busted coverage between he and – and McCourty looked like it was just Gilmore passing it off to what he thought was a half safety, and it couldn't have been a half safety. McCourty was at five yards pre-snap. Can't can't cover the deep half of the field from there. So you assume that Gilmore got the wrong call, thought the wrong call, whatever. Uh, and then this other one where he picked himself pre-snap. So that's that's not like, oh, this isn't as good as a corner as I thought. That's just getting to know you, I guess. And yeah. uh, you assume those things won't be there in October. All right, Matt, just a, a couple more quick ones before I let you go. I, I just want to get to the offensive side because – as good as it looked last week. I mean, we, look, we've seen a lot of injuries. We know about the Edelman, obviously, in preseason. Then you got Amendola going down in week one. Um, we're talking about Gronk leaving the game yesterday. I thought it was the back at first. Then he's riding the stationary bike today. 
we're hearing that, you know what, maybe they dodged the bullet, just, what, maybe a groin, and it's not that bad, or it might not be that bad. I mean, is there a point in, in, in your mind, Matt, where you look at this offense and say, hey, you know what, they'll be okay up until they lose this guy. Like, is there a, is Gronk that guy? Like, do you think if they lose Gronk for an extended period of time, on top of not having Edelman, on top of not having Amendola, that this is an offense that's in trouble? Like, at what point do you believe this offense is in serious trouble? Yeah, I, I would put it this way. I don't think, I normally think Gronk is the guy, right? And I, I think that he's probably far and away the most talented relative the person that has to cover him. You know, he has the greatest disparity between himself and whoever's got to get him. So that would probably be the biggest, but it's not the biggest if if you still got four healthy wide receivers, the back full back complement. Um, unfortunately, and we don't have that, so we don't know. So I guess sort of it, to me, it's kind of an up in the air thing because what seems to be happening now is it's actually good news, although it doesn't feel like good news. The bad news is when it's an Edelman thing. When it's ACL done, season over, you know, Malcolm Mitchell done, season over, like, okay, we'll, 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 off, the, off the charts. But unfortunately, yesterday was minor stuff. Uh, Burkhead with the ribs, uh, Dorsett with banged up knee or something like that, but then he was back yeah. out and moving around, and I think if he had to play, could have played. So those are annoying, you know, and same with Gronk. Gronk's another one of those. In-game, annoying. Is If we're playing again next week, he's probably playing. So you kind of are you're like annoyed that they seem to be dropping like flies, but they're not really dropping. They're just getting the nicks and scrapes. So provided it never becomes major, your roster's, your roster's a little beat up right now for sure, but I was watching the late game last night with Packers and, and uh, Atlanta, and Green Bay, who's, you know, the NFC side of the draw, one of the more popular teams to be there close to the end. And uh, <laughs> Jordy Nelson, Randall Cobb, and Mike Daniels, the, the stud inside defensive tackle, all three go down. And I'm like, okay, again, all things in perspective. There's some guys nicked up here as well. But this is the NFL. Injuries are going to happen. And you usually, you generally speaking, can trust that the Patriots find ways to get around it as long as it's not all IRs. And these aren't all IRs. And uh, the Houston Texans now come to town, come to Gillette Stadium Sunday at 1. Uh, Houston got the ugly win, we can call it, on Thursday night after they lost uh, their week one game. But, you know, they've gone to Deshaun Watson, the rookie quarterback. There's no way, Matt, there's no way Bill Belichick gets beat by Watson at Gillette Stadium Sunday at 1, right? Yeah, I'm of that mind just because that offense has struggled so much. Watson had the one amazing run, you know, touchdown against Cincy, but he didn't have much other production. And I honestly was a little head-scratcher there as to why they made the move from Tom Savage. You go back and watch Savage's reps, and he was under fire. I don't think any quarterback would have handled that. I think the thought process at the time was, well, Watson will have a better uh, opportunity to get away from it, I guess. But Dwayne Brown's still not there. The left tackle still continue to hold out. That's been a huge story for them. And sort of dovetailing back to the, the Packer thing, uh, last night they had two both tackles down, left and right, uh, blanket on the two names. But it, I think when you start looking at people that have lost people and that are being hurt more by it, one of the things you should be happy for with the Patriots, especially going in to play these Texans, you have your full offensive line. No injured offensive linemen. So if you're going to have conversations about this guy going down, that guy going down, I think you have a much better fighting chance if your line's intact. And Houston's hasn't been. You know, Houston's is a bit of a jumbled mess. And I think we saw that last night with the Packers, the team we everyone expects to put up 40 like the Patriots put up 40. When the old lines have an issues, that's when it becomes a major problem. So um, I look at what the Patriots sort of match up with the Texans. And 
I go back to a couple plays that broke in the preseason. And again, it's not a perfect translation because you're going to be playing more complicated coverages. You'll pressure more. But I think it's a good thing that the Patriots hung on to more uh, smaller athletic, really more outside linebackers than actual defensive ends for edge players because Watson's going to run. He just is. He's going to he's going to pull it down. He's young. He's not going to hang with pockets as long. We saw that even in preseason games where the coverage was simple. And he broke outside a couple times. A couple times on Harvey Longy, um, you know, where it got outside the left side of the pocket, the offense is right. Uh, so it'll be good teaching material. But I think with Cassius Marsh, not a heavy guy. We've seen that so far. But he can put some pressure on. The biggest thing is he runs okay for box size. So you've got Marsh, you've got Longy, you've got uh, Flowers, you've got now Dietrich Wise, who had a really nice game yesterday, who's long in cover space against these more athletic guys. So I, I think it's going to be a real be careful pocket control. Don't get into a situation where you let one of those 60-yard runs like you had in Cincy. That seems to be the way they can hurt you. But their offensive, the run game isn't what it had been in the past. Uh, they're having issues with the line, like I said. They don't have their second and third uh, offensive, uh, the pass receivers available. I'm blanking on the kid's name, the guy from Notre Dame that went down in preseason that's now on the, the later IR thing for Houston. But it's basically DeAndre Hopkins, uh, C.J. Fedora with the tight end. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a much more straightforward offense to try to go after. You just want to minimize t- uh, uh, turnovers offensively because the Houston defense can get after you. And uh, make sure you don't give up any big plays through one, two, or three little avenues with the, with the offense. But those are the kind of formulas you like, especially in your own backyard. All right, Matt, one more quick one for you. Uh, and I know you're probably trying to recruit Rob Ninkovich for footballbyfootball.com, but um, he recently <laughs> retired. But, I mean, you know, any any thoughts on, on Ninkovich maybe trying to come back? I mean, what would you say to what would you say to him? Would you give him some advice? Like, get back out there. The team needs you. Or have you heard anything? I mean, have you talked to Ninkovich? Is is there any part of him that is itching to maybe try and come back and give it another shot? So, yeah, I've talked to Rob, and I'll try to keep those those conversations private. I guess the way I'll put it is is you should always – so I'll keep this out of Rob talking just in general. So I'm yep. stepping aside from him personally. When a guy has made a decision to do that, they did it for a reason, right? Mm-hmm. And the reasons that made them do that when they made that choice – those haven't changed, even if the team's now more needy. So uh, it, you have to always consider that. Uh, and every guy that has retired uh, and had these thoughts as the next season comes along, sometimes it makes it easier because there's no media pressure, there's no other outside thing. If they've moved on and they have guys in those spots and they're doing wonderfully, but start getting injuries and the itch happens, or at least the, the public itch uh, can be there. So um, you know, it, it's it, sometimes it's a good idea uh, if you could get, you know, because you could pull off a portion of a season and some of those concerns you otherwise had won't be as big. Right. Uh, because you just got to you don't have to play 16. <laughs> you don't have to practice through a total training camp and do all that. You just got to do a portion of a year and you might actually be a big, big plus there. But the thing we'll have to keep an eye on and, you know, any in any situation like Rob is would his motivation be high. If it is to, to go through all that effort, all that work, and he comes in, they suit him up, and he plays less than ten plays or something, mm. you know, because they do like Harvey Longy, they do like Dietrich Wise, they do like you know Hightower's back, and they're using him as an end. The Karsh, the the Marsh kids now got a month or two under his belt, and they're starting to use him more like him. So you don't want to. You did the decision for your family. Um, you've had some situations you were wanting to deal with, and, and yeah, you, you minded those first. So it's a tough call, man. Every everybody has to do it because there's always that temptation during the year. And I don't think they're in a desperate state now. Now back to, now back here specifically talking about Rob. I don't think 
they're a desperate state where they absolutely need him. But man, he could, he's always help. And if if he's willing to do it, I'm sure the team would welcome him back. But uh, most of the public comments you've heard him say is, you know, it's not like they're reaching out, and I'm still pondering it. It's, it just hasn't happened. So, and sometimes it never does. So, just gotta wait and see. All right, he is Matt Chatham. He's the best. Check him out at footballbyfootball.com right now. Matt, uh, thanks for joining me. Appreciate it. Hope to talk to you soon. All right, thanks for having me on, Dave. Take care. All right, nice job right there by Matt Chatham. Always great to talk Patriots with him on this show. And, uh, you know, I will be back on Thursday to give you my picks for week three in the NFL. Picks, picks, feeling good about them. Went four and one in week two. So make sure you join me on Thursday for that. If you want to hear some winners that you should pick as well. And, of course, my DraftKings gotta have them play of the week. I'll give you that Thursday as well. So a lot more football coming later on in the week. But uh, moving on from football, just some thoughts here to wrap up the show on the Major League Baseball postseason race. I do not ignore the postseason race, especially if the Red Sox are involved and the Boston Red Sox are certainly involved. The Red Sox over the weekend win two of three in Tampa Bay against the Rays, which means the Red Sox have now won four straight series. And I told you this, looking at the schedule in the month of September, this is exactly what the Red Sox should do. Against teams like Toronto, Tampa Bay, Oakland, they should take at least two of three against these teams in a three-game series. And that's exactly what the Red Sox have done. They've taken two of three in their last four series. They've won all of their last four series, and they've all been three-game series against teams they should beat which means the Red Sox have won eight of their last 12, and now they go to Baltimore with a three-game lead over the Yankees in the AL East. Uh, Another storyline with the Red Sox is that, yeah, they have some injuries. You know, Hanley's banged up. Nunez is banged up. Uh, Pedroia, he's he's playing, but he's certainly not 100%. He got a day off on Saturday. They got injuries, but David Price has returned, and he came out of the bullpen to give the Red Sox two scoreless innings yesterday. Now, they lost, but Price came out of the pen, two scoreless innings. What do you have, two strikeouts? I'm not going to lie. I didn't watch a second of it. I didn't watch a second of the game of the Red Sox Rays yesterday. You know, on Sunday, Sundays are for the NFL. That, that That's the way I look at it, unless the playoffs have begun or unless it's a huge game. I mean, look, all the games for the Red Sox right now are big, but eh, I'm going to pay attention to the NFL on, on on a Sunday like yesterday. So, especially with the Patriots are playing at 1 o'clock. But David Price, it's a good sign to see him come out of the pen and give you two scoreless innings. I mean, that's probably where he's going to be in the postseason, right? That's, that's probably where David Price is going to stay. But the Red Sox right now, you know, they're in first place. The schedule, they're playing a Baltimore Orioles team that's, what, four games under five hundred. It's not like Baltimore is playing for an... Look, mathematically, Baltimore, I guess you could say, is still alive in the wildcard race. What are they, five and a half games out of that second wildcard spot? But they got four or five teams ahead of them. In fact, it's funny. I look at the standings here on ESPN.com, and it gives the Orioles a 0.1% chance of making the playoffs. So the Orioles have a 73-77 and record. I guess mathematically, they're involved in the wild card race, but they're not really. So the Orioles are done. You should beat the Orioles as well. And, um, you know, then after that, you get three in Cincinnati. Cincinnati is down and out. They're not playing for anything. Then you get three in Toronto. 
Uh, the Toronto Blue Jays is down and out. They're not playing for anything. And who knows what Houston's going to look like in that final series. So the Red Sox, the schedule looks very good for them. And if you look at the standings, if the playoffs began today on this Monday, September 18th, the Red Sox with 85 wins would actually be going to Houston. Houston clinched their division. Cleveland's clinched their division. Uh, the Red Sox in a heated division race with the Yankees. But I expect the Red Sox to win their division, and I expect the Red Sox to either play Cleveland or Houston and to go to either Cleveland or Houston in the ALDS. Houston has 91 wins. They're now chasing Cleveland with 93 wins. And uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't think Houston's going to catch Cleveland. But if you're asking me who I'd rather see the Red Sox face, and they're going to be going on the road to begin the ALDS, I, I, I think that... I'd rather face Houston. I'd rather the Red Sox face Houston because I think the Indians' rotation is a very bad matchup for the Red Sox offense, especially a banged-up Red Sox offense that is also without David Ortiz. They couldn't get the job done last year against the— and the Indians' rotation last year was banged up. They didn't have Carrasco. I mean, they you know, they had a pitcher that, that was playing with drones before the game and cut his hand. I mean, and you still couldn't beat him. So, and now this year, they don't, the Red Sox don't have David Ortiz. And they're banged up on top of it. So, uh, I think that's a very bad matchup. Cleveland would be a very bad matchup for the Red Sox. Not, not to say Houston would be a good matchup, because Houston's a very good team as well. But I'd rather play Houston in the ALDS. That's what I'd, I'd rather see. So, keep my eye on the postseason race. But that's what we have for right now. The Red Sox are in Baltimore for a couple games beginning tonight. And, uh... Yeah, I guess keep an eye on what's going on with David Price in the bullpen. That's something to keep an eye out for, and, and also keep an eye on the health of some of the guys in this lineup, like Hanley and even Nunez. So moving on from baseball, as I wrap up the show here, I got to give you my thoughts on Canelo and Triple G. They fought to a draw on Saturday night in Las Vegas. This was the biggest fight the sport of boxing has seen in a long time. I, w- I tweeted it out throughout the fight. The first three rounds of the fight, I gave to Canelo Alvarez. And I thought Golovkin looked like a completely different fighter in the first three rounds. I don't know if it was nerves. I don't know if it was a feeling-out process that maybe Canelo was doing something different or maybe he wanted to make sure Canelo wasn't going to be doing something different. I don't know what it was. But I thought Golovkin looked very out of place, out of sync. In the first three rounds, I thought Golovkin had terrible footwork. That's not usually his style. He is usually from the opening bell. He is out there, great footwork, power punches, landing that jab, confident with that jab. Um, It was a different, Golovkin looked like a different fighter in the first three rounds. I gave the first three to Canelo, but something happened towards the end of the third round where Golovkin started to feel a little bit more comfortable. The footwork looked a whole lot better. And he just looked like the Golovkin of, of old in the final, let's say, 30 to thirty seconds to a minute left in the third round. And Golovkin, after losing the first three rounds, I thought took rounds four through nine. I thought he took the fourth, the fifth, the sixth, the seventh, the eighth, the ninth. Six straight rounds. You know why? He was chasing Canelo around the ring. Golovkin was chasing Canelo around. Now, throughout all of the, that, Throughout all of that chasing around and, and those rounds four through nine, 
Canelo still landed some big shots every once in a while here and there that I could, I guess I could see maybe some judges thinking about giving it a couple of those rounds to Canelo. I didn't. I just thought that Golovkin's the guy, right? I mean, Canelo's the guy that's been ducking Golovkin, not the other way around. Golovkin's wanted to fight Canelo for a long time. That factored into the, to the fact that Golovkin was just chasing Canelo around the ring. Rounds four through nine, even in 10 and 11, he was chasing him around. But Canelo did better. I thought Canelo won 10 and 11. And I thought round 12 was sort of a toss-up. But I'm going to give it to Golovkin. So my final scorecard was Golovkin 7-5. Golovkin won seven rounds. Canelo won five rounds. My, If I were a judge, I'd be giving the fight to Gennady Golovkin in a very close fight. He chased Canelo around the ring through most of the night, and I think that has, that has to be worth something. And he was landing punches while he was doing it. And, um, you know, I just thought that it was a close fight, and everybody should have judged it as a close fight. However, when you get one judge, like Adelaide Bird, and I don't even know, am I pronouncing her name right? I have no idea. But... Adelaide Bird, she, this judge, she gave Golovkin only the fourth and the seventh rounds. That's it. Only the fourth and the seventh. That's insane. Whatever. I mean, the fifth, the sixth, even the eighth and the ninth, I thought Golovkin was chasing Canelo around the ring. What was she watching? I have no idea how you only give Golovkin two rounds in that fight. I have no clue. It's one thing to think it was close and say, you know what? Canelo landed some power punches. I'm going to give a close fight to Canelo. That's one thing. It's another thing to look at the fight and go, Golovkin only won two rounds in this fight. That's a joke. That's a joke. And I watched the the post-fight stuff. I watched it on HBO. Fine. But I went to ESPN because I was curious. Teddy Atlas... He's very good. I love his passion. I, I, I just had a feeling that t- someone like Teddy Atlas would look at this result, would look at that scorecard from Adelaide Bird, and he would lose it. And you know what? I was right. He did. And I'm so glad I watched it. Teddy Atlas flipped out. He was going off, going off on corruption in boxing. And in general, on specific judges, but also just the sport. Like, for the sport of boxing to continue to let, when you look at Adelaide Bird's history as a judge and the controversial decisions that she's come up with and the controversial scorecards that she's had, when you look at that history and you're still letting her judge big fights like this, you know, shame on the sport because how, like, when is somebody going to step in and do something about it? All right. You just can't have it like this. That, it's embarrassing. That was an embar- I thought that was an embarrassing scorecard for the, for the sport. You know? It's one thing. They come to a draw. Everybody had it so close. The scorecard that she gave in which she had Gennady Golovkin only winning two rounds was an absolute embarrassment. Okay? Because clearly if you watched the fight, you would know. You don't even have to be a boxing fan to know that Golovkin won more than two rounds in this fight. All right? So, basically what Teddy Atlas was saying, and, and, and I'm paraphrasing, is that when you get these fights, you know, 
Golden Boy, they have the event the night before. They got the judges. They're feeding them dinner. They're doing this. They're doing that. Look, and I tweeted this out as well. Golden Boy Promotions, they have been pulling the strings on this fight for years. You know how? They wouldn't let Cano- They wouldn't fight Golovkin. They waited until Golovkin was in his mid-30s. They waited until somebody stepped up and, and took Golovkin to the distance like Danny Jacobs did in the last fight. They waited for a sign of vulnerability. They waited for an opportunity in which they could seize the moment while also making the big money. While everybody knew Golovkin still had a lot left in the tank, but he wasn't necessarily at his very best like he was three, four years ago. When he's wanted to fight Canelo. When Golovkin was a mandatory challenger. And Canelo wouldn't fight him. Golden Boy wouldn't make that fight happen. Golden Boy's been pulling the strings. And Golden Boy was pulling the strings again on Saturday night because it was very clear. And Teddy Atlas pointed this out, and I agree with him. It was very clear that a judge like Adelaide Bird, with that scorecard, that's that embarrassing, that has Golovkin only winning two rounds in the fucking fight. That scorecard, that judge, Adelaide Bird, that is an example of Golden Boy continuing to be pulling the strings on this thing because they're getting exactly what they want. I don't know what they paid Adelaide Bird, but if you're asking me, Golden Boy paid her something. They paid her something. You know why? Because Golden Boy wants a rematch. They want another one of these, okay? And and like everyone's saying, they want it on Cinco de Mayo in 2018. And you know what? I wouldn't be surprised if they pulled the strings to get a third to get a third fight, right? I mean, it's just embarrassing. But somebody needs to step in and say, a judge like Adelaide Bird with that scorecard, uh-uh, not going to happen again. Sorry, you're done. It's over. I mean, it's foolish. Anybody who watched that fight knew Golovkin won more than two rounds. But Golden Boy, Canelo, they're going to get a rematch. There'll be a rematch. Of course there'll be a rematch. Because if you watch the fight, you know Golovkin won a very close fight. Golovkin won it. He won the fight. And you can call Canelo the lineal champ all you want. And if you don't know what that means, that means he's the man in that weight class, in the middleweight class. Like, might not have all the belts. Golovkin has all the belts. But every time Golovkin was the mandatory challenger, Canelo wouldn't fight him. And he'd give up a belt. And, uh, but, the, but you don't lose the lineal champ, right? What do you call it? We call him a paper champ? I don't know if we're going to go that far. But, um, I mean, he's the lineal champ. Still, Golovkin's the guy. Everybody knows that. Has not lost. Power puncher. Really the most dominant guy. And anybody who wants to sit there and go, well, Golovkin hasn't really had the the big names fight him. That's because the big names won't fucking fight him. That's how good and dominant he is. Canelo's finally fighting him, him, but he's waiting waiting too late. And even waiting that late, he still couldn't beat him. In fact... Golovkin won. Golovkin won the fight. Because in my opinion, and I say this about a lot of fights, to beat the man, you know, you got to actually beat him. To beat him, you got to beat him. If that makes sense. <laughs> I know I know my confuser, but you have to beat the champ. You have to beat the guy. And while Canelo might be the lineal champ on paper, who's the, who's the best? Who's the top dog? Who's the more dominant guy? It's Golovkin. You got to beat him. Canelo did not beat him. So, and the fact that Golovkin chased him around the ring most of the night. A close fight, but Golovkin should have had the decision, should have won it. 
But you know what would have happened? There might not have been a rematch. There might not have been a rematch if that happened, right? Uh, unless there was a clause. I don't know about the rematch clause or whatever. But, um, you know, if I were Golovkin, I'd say, no. Hey, I, I waited to fight him for the longest time. We finally fought. I won. That's it. It's over. That's it. I, I, if, if you're Golovkin, maybe the, if you won that fight, maybe you walk away. I have no idea. But uh, they'll fight again. And this is exactly what Golden Boy wants. They didn't want Canelo to get knocked out. He didn't. But they also didn't want him to lose the fight because they wanted the rematch. And they'll get the rematch. And they're pulling the strings. And it's embarrassing. You know, we, we all see this. We all know this. And they still don't care because all they care about is money. All they care about is money. Uh, I, I get, but that said, I watched the rematch. I was extremely entertained with the fight Saturday night. It's a fight I've been waiting for for a long time. But I did think Gennady Golovkin should have been the winner of that fight. So there you go. And one last thought. I mentioned WWE. I mentioned old school WWF. Uh, rest in peace to Bobby the Brain Heenan. They were tweeting it out yesterday. Vince McMahon tweeted it out. Bobby the Brain Heenan has passed away. Um, I, I'm not going to lie to you, and, and I hope this doesn't sound wrong, but I didn't even know that Bobby the Brain Heenan was still alive. You know, there's a lot of these guys, sometimes I hear that they're dead, and I'm thinking to myself, wow, I, I thought he already had passed. So I was a little surprised to hear this news because I didn't even think Bobby the Brain Heenan was still alive. However, that said, rest in peace, Bobby the Brain Heenan. I am a big wrestling fan, or at least I was old school back in the day. And Bobby the Brain Heenan was a obviously one of the most famous managers of all time in professional wrestling history. But as a color commentator, Bobby the Brain Heenan was the best, and it's not even close. As entertaining as you're going to get as a color commentator, really, in, I think, in any industry, Bobby the Brain Heenan, when he was there with who? Either Gorilla Monsoon or Vince McMahon when Vince used to do play-by-play. Bobby the Brain Heenan was the absolute best as a color commentator. And uh, rest in peace to Bobby the Brain because uh, he will be missed. But uh, there's so many highlights of him. Go back. Watch the old pay-per-views on the WWE Network. Find the ones that he's doing, the color commentary. You will be highly entertained. The, you know, Paul Heyman right now is probably the guy that, you know, could, could keep up with him when it comes to most famous, most entertaining, best managers of all time. And Heyman's done some color commentary as well. But I do, I do not think anybody touches Bobby the Brain Heenan. I am here every Monday and Thursday. Come back on Thursday. I'll give you my picks for week three in the NFL. Also give you my DraftKings. Gotta have them. Play of the week. In the meantime, keep using DraftKings and use my promo code PICK. That's P-I-C on DraftKings.com or on the DraftKings app. Play for free. Again, promo code PICK. P-I-C. Get this show whenever you want at DannyPicard.com. Also on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Tune in anywhere podcasts are available. Follow me on Twitter at Danny Picard. Like my Facebook page, facebook.com slash the Danny Picard show. I am out. Enjoy the rest of your week, and I'll talk to you on Thursday. <laughs>